Hello everyone, welcome to the Lifestyle is Medicine podcast brought to you by Lifestyle is Medicine. Today we take you to a webinar that we did recently on type 2 diabetes. We had Dr. Wes Youngborg and Dr. John Kelly speak for us and we bring you part 2 of the discussion. Hope that you are blessed by this talk. Then I have another question for both of you and um, you know I was looking at the 2018 diabetes uh, clinical guidelines for Canada. And if you look through the whole document, they mentioned nothing about reversal. The word that they use is management. But mm -hmm. both of you, um, I mean, Dr. Wes, I read your book and clearly you believe that diabetes can in some way or shape or form be reversed. At least there's a possibility of that. And I know that Dr. Kelly, uh, you and the American College of Alaska Medicine does believe that di type 2 diabetes is potentially reversible. So uh, who should we believe? Um, what does the science say? Because these folks who are making the guidelines, clinical guidelines are saying, they don't use the word reversal, but you're saying that uh, potentially it is. So can you explain? I say we're all right, uh, Dr. Cho. We're all right. And so um, it was Henry Ford who said, whether you think you're right or you think you're wrong, uh, you're, you're, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right, he said. And so, and so the reason why many people don't believe that diabetes is reversible is because they themselves have never seen it because they have never actually researched or figured out how to do it. And so the average physician, especially somebody trained years ago who had no exposure to even the, the thought, the consideration that diabetes may be reversible, um, they never, never implemented a, a clinical protocol or strategy that would even come close to helping their patient reverse their diabetes, and therefore, it's impossible. And under those circumstances, it's impossible, and that's what we still see uh, broadly in, in, in the medical world, is that people don't believe it's possible because they, they are not privy to understanding the underlying triggers. So that's why right. we began this discussion. We need to understand what drives it in the first place. Once we do that, uh, the vast majority of people, especially if caught early in the disease process before the pancreas has lost the vast majority of its ability to produce insulin, that is a condition where we can reverse it. Let me give you a quick example. You know, because some people say, well, maybe somebody who's who's fairly young, maybe they can reverse their diabetes, maybe for a year, but after that, it comes back, right? Well, anything can come back if we do not continue to follow the strategies that allowed us to reverse it in the first place. So I had, uh, uh, six years ago, I had an 89-year-old patient who, um, who uh, wanted to address his diabetes. He, was, he had blood sugars well above 300, and Dr. Cho, you can you can tell your Canadian uh, friends what that means <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of world units uh, versus U.S. units. But, uh, he, you know, very, very high blood sugars, uh, way, way too high, about two, two to three times too high after meals. And, and so, uh, you know, he was under the impression that there's nothing that could be done about it. Well, as he worked with me, he, he learned, he, just, he was a very successful businessman. And so he just said, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And, and we just had one session. I told him what to do. He started implementing all the strategies. And, and Dr. Cho, within five weeks, he calls me up and he says, 
he says, Dr. Younger says, I want to get tested again. It's only been five weeks, I said. Well, I said, yeah, but it's going to be my 90th birthday, and I want to be able to tell them where I'm at in my goals through reverse diabetes. We tested him, and his hemoglobin A1C had dropped from 7.2, which is clearly diabetic, to 6.2, which is clearly not diabetic based on that guideline. And, and that was five weeks. Again, that was based on his diet change and his exercising after meals. And he stopped snacking in the evenings. Then, then what happened is that he kept this up. And after three months, he wasn't even pre-diabetic anymore. And after six months, his A1C went down to 5.1% and has stayed there. And he's 96 years old now. So nobody can make the excuse that I'm too old, okay? It's just a question, are you willing to get on the program, to follow the recommendations, and you will get dramatic results if you do. Dr. Cho, if I might share a thought. You know, I appreciate the question, and there are people who genuinely uh, are concerned that those of us who say you can reverse this disease when the so-called recognized experts say you cannot, so let me just speak very plainly and clearly to that because I appreciate uh, you know, Dr. Youngberg's pers uh, case example. But the reality is what happened is in the 80s, we started using bariatric surgery to treat morbid obesity. And lo and behold, one of the side effects was people with type 2 diabetes were being cured or you know, they were, their diabetes was going away. And, and that fact really is what made us change. And so in 2009, the American Diabetes Association uh, it's the first time they published a uh, consensus statement on what is remission. What is they 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 had to define it because it's happening, <laughs> and so we've kind of been forced into this. But now, uh, you know, uh, many organizations are realizing that it is possible to do this without surgery. In fact, uh, amazing study done by Lingvey. You could uh, I can give you the citation, but they did this study where they actually asked the question is the diabetes remission due to the surgery or to the diet? And they did a crossover study where they had people that were gonna get the surgery were randomly assigned to go on the diet for a couple of weeks before the surgery or to get the surgery and go on the diet for the two weeks. And what they found was, believe it or not, and this was a ruin why, this is one of the very aggressive uh, bariatric surgeries, the people who went on the diet without the surgery actually did better, had better remission than the ones who had the surgery before they went on the restrictive diet. So, so diet alone can reverse diabetes. Unequivocal, absolutely. Mm, absolutely, yes. Well, you both mentioned nutrition, so we're gonna start getting a little bit deeper into that. Uh, and we'll go to some of the specific controversies that are out there or the misconceptions out there that people have. So first thing uh, for you, Dr. Wes, there's a lot, lot of discussion about ketogenic diet. Um, paleo is kind of a modified ketogenic diet, if you will. High carb, low carb. Some people say, you know, carbohydrates aren't good. I shouldn't eat rice. Can you comment on the low carb, uh, high carb, low fat, high fat uh, controversy there? Okay. Um, well, first of all, uh, Dr. Kelly and I both had the privilege to work with uh, Brenda Davis, a registered dietitian who's Canadian. And in my opinion, she's, uh, she's, the, she's the most respected, from my, my perspective, the most respected 
uh, respected new, uh, dietitian in the world relative to diabetes management. And, yes. and uh, she, of course, was involved with the Diabetes Undone Project. But we first met uh, in, in Dr. Kelly's research project in the Marshall Islands, where he was medical director of this big project that, that was working with some of the sickest of the sick. These are, these are diabetics that were, you know, had, had amputation risk. They had blindness risk. I mean, these were hardcore diabetics. And so he, he, he took this message of, of addressing diabetes management using lifestyle medicine to the Western Pacific. And, uh, and that's how, I, how we met uh, Brenda Davis specifically. Well, the, 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 the challenge here is sometimes the way the question is posed creates a more of the controversy. And so to, in my opinion, it's not so much about the amount of carbohydrate or the amount of fat as it is the type of carbohydrate and the type of fat. And so that's why the emphasis from a clinical standpoint should be on a whole plant-based diet. So it should be plant strong, uh, meaning the majority of the calories or the volume of the meal planning comes from whole plants and ideally 100% from whole plants because that's where you get the nutrition. How do you heal any, any chronic uh, lifestyle related disease? is by number one, dramatically increasing the amount of nutrients, not calories, clearly, but nutrients. And the way you get more nutrients is by eating foods that are high in nutrients, and those are the whole plant-based foods. Those are the non-starchy vegetables, first and foremost, the green leafy vegetables and the colorful vegetables. And so, and so those are carbohydrates. So to say that, that carbs are bad or, 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 or you can eat all the carbs you want is really the wrong way to pose the question, I believe. I think the right way is to help educate people to eat the right type of carbohydrates where, where I every morning I eat a big carbohydrate breakfast, but it's primarily non-starchy carbohydrates. And I never would have thought that I would be eating uh, stir-fried vegetables for breakfast, guys. But th that's my favorite part of any meal of the entire day, where I get a big bowl, three to four cups of stir-fried purple cabbage and mushrooms and onions and, and baby spinach and a couple slices of avocado on top of that. That's good stuff. That is tasty and it's full of fiber, but more importantly, it's rich in nutrients. So you have a high nutrient to calorie ratio. Okay, and then, Here's the key. How do you determine what other forms of carbohydrates, more, the more starchy carbohydrates, we include with our meals, any meal? And that's to, deter, that's to be determined in large part for a diabetic at least by looking at the after meal blood sugar. So if you check your blood sugar an hour or maybe two hours after the beginning of your meal, that tells you what your tolerance is for for regular starchy carbohydrates or fruits. That should so, be the determining factor more than, more than uh, following one plan for all. 
So thank you, Dr. Younger. Can I make a comment, Dr. Cho? Sure, so yes. I, I, what I say when people ask me about the ketogenic diet is number one, <clears throat> excuse me, the statistics show that the majority of the people who say they're on a ketogenic diet are actually not in ketosis. They are, they're not eating in a way that is literally keeping them in ketosis. Right. So that's the first thing. And they don't even realize that because the fad diets, you know, there's no, they don't, people don't really know that. Second thing. Uh, is that uh, the, the, there are companies that are actually doing this and they're keeping people in, in ketosis and they're seeming to get some good results. In fact, Hall and some of the others have published uh, papers showing uh, some good, apparently good results with a ketogenic diet that maintains ketosis. However, as just there was a review in, in the journal Nutrients just recently where they looked, uh, the experts panel, it was like, 12 or 15 people, they looked at this question and they looked carefully at the literature and showed that the fact is the ketogenic diet has not been studied in more than one year. The longest period uh, of any study has been one year. Secondly, there's plenty of measures that tell us that those people who are on a ketotic diet still have insulin resistance. Yes, it's helping apparently to control their blood sugar or keep their glucose down, but it is not actually fixing the underlying problem. And so many of us who are trying to find the, the best answer are, are, are aware of the fact that this is simply not, right now, it's not the right way to go. I'm not saying um, that, that, we, that it may not be workable in the future, but it's not the way to go. However, having said that, as a clinician, if I encounter a patient that is controlling their weight and blood sugar with ketotic diet, I do not uh, you know, tell them, oh my goodness, this is the end of the world, you gotta change. I say, well, let's, let's see how this goes for you because for most people, it is not a long-term solution that you're, that you're happy with. And, and, uh, and I've, most of them find out that it's, it works better in the short term and not so well in the longer term. In my experience, I mean, they, they start to feel bad. Like they don't start, they start feeling unwell after being a while uh, on the ketogenic diet, so. That's true. Let, let me also add that First of all, well, I, I loved uh, Brenda Davis's lectures on this very topic because she points out that there's actually a lot more in common between a properly done ketogenic diet and, and what we refer to as a whole plant-based diet. Uh, a properly done ketogenic diet actually encourages more of the non-starchy vegetables, et cetera. <clears throat> now, an improperly done ketogenic diet, which is unfortunately the way most people do a ketogenic diet, uh, where they're saying, uh, I hear it all the time from some of my colleagues who, who promote a ketogenic diet. They say, well, you, you can't be on a, on a ketogenic diet unless you eat meat. And I'm going like, no, that's not true. You know, it, because I, I understand the value, potential value of it, but I also understand the, the great risk that is taken when somebody buys into the perspective that you have to eat meat, uh, animal protein, to be on a, quote, healthy ketogenic diet. And, and my problem with the ketogenic diet, as done by most people, is primarily the damage that it does to your kidneys. I've had many patients that went to esteemed institutions in the United States and saw well-known um, physicians who were promoting a ketogenic diet and that blew out their kidneys, uh, which is layman's term for causing an aggressive advancement of chronic kidney disease 
uh, to the point where they were very close to, to requiring kidney dialysis. Mm -hmm. And then they came to me and I nurtured them back to healthier chronic kidney, func uh, kidney function, literally reversing the stages of chronic kidney disease. And we did that by going on 100% whole plant-based diet. Now, I am not one that, that insists that all my patients eat 100% whole plant-based diet. I do that, I, I recommend that, but I'm not gonna insist that you have to do that or you can't be my patient. I'm helping lead people in a direction to make better lifestyle choices for themselves. But when I get a patient that comes to me, Dr. Cho, who has, who has uh, advanced chronic kidney disease, or, or basically is coming to me because they're being told that the, the, the doctor, the nephrologist wants to put a port in them and wants to you know, get them ready for kidney dialysis. And now finally, they're, they're starting to think about their health and what they can do to prevent that eventuality. Well, that's, that's a far uh, in the, the continuum of, of, of uh, advanced disease of the kidneys. Okay, but even then, I've had patients who came to me with a glomerular filtration rate of 21, okay, which is getting very dangerously close to stage five chronic kidney disease, where the doctors are already preparing him for kidney dialysis. And, and now a year and a half later, that same patient has a filtration rate, kidney filtration rate of 89, which is better than a lot of college students I know. So the, in other words, the kidneys can regenerate, we can heal if we remove, number one, the toxic uh, influence of, of animal-based proteins. And so to me, that's a bigger issue than the fats or the carbohydrates, okay? That's animal protein is really bad for the kidneys. And, and we know that, in fact, the president of the National Kidney Foundation in the U.S., spoke several years ago at a national conference and said the best thing she knows of for, this, for these individuals is to put them on a plant-based diet and it dramatically slows progression, okay? And if we do other things at the same time, in other words, if we take a more broad perspective to lifestyle medicine and natural medicine, we're able to actually help reverse the condition uh, in many people, especially if they're starting at at stage 3A or stage 3B chronic kidney disease. So, so that would be my main argument against the, the typical ketogenic diet is that you're much better off going away from, uh, from animal-based proteins and just getting healthy plant-based proteins, which are not damaging to your kidneys. Great. All right. Let's get more specific into the nutrition. And we're going to, we're, a little bit tight on time, so maybe have one person each for each question. Uh, so uh, a common question that people have is fruits. So uh, Dr. Kelly, uh, can people with type 2 diabetes have fruit? Just very quickly. Yeah, sure. Well, the answer is that uh, this question itself is problematic because if you have type 2 diabetes that you are not treating with lifestyle, you, you, you definitely want to avoid foods, some foods like fruit, that if you are actually, however, treating your diabetes with a healthy lifestyle, fruit in general is not a problem. So what I would say to, to answer this question is that, yes, um, if I'm, when I'm treating a patient with lifestyle change that has type 2 diabetes, I, can, I use fruit as part of their, 
their uh, food. However, if I'm talking to a person that has, is, is a conventional, typical patient, then yes, I acknowledge to them that fruits can be a problem with your blood sugar. So anyway, the answer is, if you are uh, on a healthy lifestyle try, uh, and you're reversing your diabetes, fruits can be a part of your diet. Dr. Wes, how about dairy? You know, from a clinical standpoint, one of the first things that I encourage my patients to stay away from if they're coming to me for pretty much any health issue is to get off of dairy. I even tell them to do that before I start talking to them about getting off of meats. And the reason for that is because dairy products have uh, are, are such a big factor in creating allergies and creating autoimmune issues with digestion, um, uh, leading, you know, if you're not digesting food very well, uh, you're, that means you're not assimilating nutrients very well. And if you're not getting your nutrients, you're not healing very well. So it sets you up for immune depression, for, for all, all kinds of health problems. So I, I strongly discourage the use of dairy, um, even from a clinical standpoint, even above other things. And, and in fact, cheese is the worst form of dairy. I'm not, we're short on time, I won't go into that more. <laughs>